This morning's message is entitled Faith Under Pressure. And we're going to be in Roman or not Romans, in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 through 29. I'm going to read that passage now. By faith Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for 3 months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Father in heaven, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your word We thank you for an opportunity to read it, to enjoy it, to reflect upon it, to feast on it, and to apply it. Father, it it has not gone unnoticed over the course, especially of the last year, that life is different. In many ways, life has become much more complicated, but in other ways, life has become simpler. We have been trained in the last year to deal and maneuver with circumstances that once were not even given a second thought. We've been trained to think more deeply about those things. And this certain, this certain season that we're in has complicated uh, lives. But there are certain things that once were complicated that became easy because there was no other way. And through all of this, Father, there have been pains and there have been struggles. There have been family members who have been lost. They've been lost and we couldn't even visit them before they passed. There have been, there's been sickness There's been strife in our community, in our state, and in our nation. But there is one truth that remains, and that is that you reign. That you are in control. And that you are still working through your church, through the bride. And you are still gifting your people with faith to persevere and to endure these times. So, Father, may we be faithful. May we be faithful under pressure. May we be faithful through, through suffering. And may we endure. And through, though we endure through pain, may we also endure with joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is not always easy 
to live the Christian life uh, with strong, committed faith. It is not always easy to do that. It is, always, it is not always easy to live in such a way that it is very clear uh, that faith reigns in our lives. It's not easy. It is especially not easy when we come under certain pressures in our lives. Some of those are pressures that we have built ourselves. Um, some of those pressures are pressures that have been placed upon us by outside forces. Some of those pressures are just the natural, uh, the natural circumstances of life. Sicknesses, health, life and death, and those types of things. But in either way, in either instance, and, and regardless of the circumstance, God gives His people a measure of faith to endure. There is a common phrase that we've mentioned before that we know that many individuals believe that's in Scripture, but we know that it's not. And we believe, in fact, some of us believe that it's in Scripture so much uh, that, that, that we've, we've actually gone to the computer to find the passage. Um, I remember, and I've mentioned this one time before, but one day I was at work and a, a deacon from another church uh, in our community uh, contacted me because we worked together. He contacted me. He said, he said Chris, he said, um, I know that you're a pastor and you'll, you, you might be able to help me find this particular verse in Scripture. I said, okay. I, he says, I'm looking at it for a Bible study. Where is that passage in Scripture that says that God helps those who helps themselves? And I thought it was a trick question. I thought it was a trick question. And I said, are, are, are you serious? He said, yeah, I'm looking for that passage because that, I need that verse for tonight because that's what my, that's what my Scripture is about. And I said, I, I don't think so. He said, what do you mean? I said, I, I don't think that you're going to be teaching a Bible study tonight that teaches God helps those who help themselves. He said, well, why not? That's exactly what I'm teaching tonight. I said, the problem is the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible does not teach that. In fact, the Bible demonstrates over and over and over that we cannot help ourselves, and in fact, that's why we need God. That's why we need Christ. So we know as good, faithful uh, feasters on the Word that God does not, in fact, help those who help themselves, but God helps those who, in fact, cannot help themselves. We know that, but in practicality and application, there are times in life where we attempt to live life as if God will reward us for helping ourselves first, which is the exact opposite of faith. It's the exact opposite of the application of the gift of faith that God has bestowed upon His bride, His church. Now, when we look at the passage today, these seven verses or so, one of the things that we're going to see is that God has gifted Moses and his parents, he mentioned, uh, the author here mentions his parents, has, has given a measure of faith to these individuals to accomplish his ends in a very specific way. And one of the things that we're going to witness here is that Moses is coming up against some of the same types, types of pressures that we in fact face. Maybe not to the same level, right? I don't think that God is going to cause us 
or, or, or lead us to divide the Red Sea, okay, or, you know, Beaver Lake or whatever lake that, that, we're, that we recognize, all right? God's probably not going to call us to do that, all right? But even still, there are pressures that we are faced with, that we come, up, that we, that we come into, that we have to deal with. And Moses, in this passage, and the example that the author gives us from the life of Moses, gives us a little bit of an example of how we can do that. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to walk through this passage. We're not going to take a lot of time on this passage. Uh, on these on these verses, but I want to highlight about five different things that I've kind of reflected on after reading this. And so I just want to kind of walk through this. So beginning in verse 23, the author writes, By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. Now, what does that mean? Well, if we look at the beginning of Exodus, just to kind of give us a little bit of background, a little bit of context, if you remember, Genesis ends with Joseph. Genesis ends with Joseph, and Joseph has basically been used by God to save the Egyptians and to save the Israelites, or the Hebrews, to save his, his family from famine. Then Joseph dies, and there's a period of about 400 years between Genesis and Exodus. Well, during that time, we find that the Egyptians, specifically the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, has forgotten Joseph, has forgotten what was accomplished, and now the Hebrews have been put in slavery under the Egyptians to build their monstrosities and all of these types of things. And during this time, the king, the Pharaoh, has made a decree that all the Hebrew boys would be cast into the, into the river, but the, the daughters would be let live. Now, why is that? It's because the Israelites, or the Hebrews, had grown so strong in number that they were in fear that they would take over. And so this is what the king does. He makes this edict that all the boys shall die, that they should all be drowned. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar? to what we see in the life of Christ. That when Herod finds out that this Christ child is going to be born, he says, I want all of these young boys to be killed. And so here we come across this verse where the parents of Moses have heard this edict. And it says, by faith, by faith, after he was born, uh, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they did not fear the king's edict. So they disobeyed this king, this pharaoh. Now, if you disobey the governor, if you disobey the mayor, if you disobey our government, it is likely, it is likely that you are not going to get punished by death. All right, you might get fined. You might even get thrown in jail for a little while, depending upon the gravity of the situation. But in this case, if the pharaoh had found, discovered their uh, disobedience, if you will, it is likely that they would have been killed. But what we find is that faith leads to courage. That's the first thing. Faith leads to courage. Now, this is not some sort of courage that our society has, has caused us to idolize, all right? Bravery and courage and those types of things. This is a different type of courage. 
Oftentimes when our society talks about bravery and the courage to stand up and to, and to move forward in the face of danger, in the face of enormous odds, when our society talks, speaks of that, it is some sort of courage that we summon in ourselves, right? That we stir up in ourselves, that he or she had the courage to go forward. He or she had the courage to stand up and face their demons, that sort of thing. It's something that we stir up in ourselves, and we applaud those individuals for their courage and for their bravery. That's not the courage that I'm talking about. That's not the courage that the Scripture is talking about here. The type of courage that I'm speaking of is the kind of courage that can only be brought about by faith gifted to us by God. And so this is not something to celebrate, if you will, the parents of Moses. This is something to exalt God in, that we praise God because God is the one to be exalted in here. And there is no way, there is no way that the parents of Moses would have been stirred to the courage or the bravery to hide that child for three months in the face of the Pharaoh's edict were it not for God leading them to do that very thing, leading them to disobey a direct order from the king, leading them to preserve Moses. It took great faith. Let's look and see further what, the, what it says here. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. So first of all, God gave them the faith to have the courage to do what was needed in order to preserve Moses. But there was more to it than that. It was not just some sort of unknown, hidden, blind faith that they saw. It says that they saw that the child was beautiful. Now, folks, I have said, and I don't want anybody getting offended by this, all right, that most babies are cute. Most babies are beautiful. Most. Most. Not all of them, okay? Not all of them. But most of them are. So I don't believe the author here intends for us to believe that the parents looked at their baby and said, we just produced a beautiful, beautiful baby. We're going to preserve them, okay? Folks, even the ugliest baby is deemed to be beautiful by their parents, okay? At least publicly, all right? At least publicly. Behind closed doors, they might look at one another and say, what did we create? All right? It wasn't quite finished cooking yet, okay? But in all seriousness, the majority of parents look at their child and think that it's beautiful. That's not what was happening here. The parents did not look on Moses and said, he has beautiful features. He has that beautiful caramel skin, the wonderful hair, the baby blue eye. That's not what they're talking about. What they're looking at here likely is the fact that God in some way, in some way, has shared and impressed upon them that there is something special about this child, that this child is going to be set apart for his purposes. And that's what was beautiful. It was beautiful because their child had a purpose, and God gave them the faith to, number one, believe in that purpose, and two, believe it in enough that they would disobey a direct order from the king in order to fulfill God's command. And so they hid that child. And they ended up putting him in a basket, of course, putting him in the river. And eventually, what do we see? We see that the Pharaoh's daughter finds that child. So first is this. Faith 
leads us to courage. The second is that faith rejects the comforts of sin. And I'm just going to be very blunt with, us, with you all, is that sin can be comfortable. Sin can be comfortable. Even in our Christian lives, because we are still being sanctified, we are still growing, we find that there are certain sins that comfort us. There are certain sins that we can go back to. Now, as we grow in the faith and we grow closer to Christ, we grow closer or more, uh, more fulfilled by His Word, those sins become more detestable. We grow less comfortable with those sins and more comfortable with holiness, even when holiness is difficult, right? But faith rejects the comforts of sin. So it says in verse 24, by faith, actually 24 through 26, by faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater, than we greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. So what does this mean? Well, at a particular time, we know that there were uh, individuals, these, there was a disagreement, and we saw that these two Hebrew uh, uh, individuals were getting beaten by an Egyptian. And what ends up happening? Moses ends up standing up and kills that individual and buries them in the sand, right? Well, eventually, that, that Egyptian gets discovered, all right? He ends up getting discovered, and Moses ends up having to flee. But what's very clear here is that Moses was standing up for his Hebrew brothers and sisters because Moses believed, believed that there was a plan greater than just the wealth or the treasures that Egypt had to offer. He says here that in verse 25, and he, that he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses had an opportunity to be the a grandchild of the king, the adopted grandchild of the king. Moses had an opportunity to be able to sit in the king's uh, kingdom as an authority figure, as an individual of prominence, as an individual who was going to garner all these riches and all this wealth. He had the opportunity to do this. But at the same time, he would have been in engaged in and lying in comfort with this sin. Now, folks, that would have been the easy life. That would have been the simple life, right? Air conditioning. No more laborious efforts out in the, out in the heat. No more moving stones. No more getting, uh, getting whipped and beaten. None of that life. He could have had the riches and the wealth of Egypt. But what does Moses do? Moses instead chooses to side with his Hebrews, so much though, so that he protects his brothers from the enslavement of the, of the Egyptians. And so faith rejects the comforts of sin. That's really, really difficult at times. It is difficult for us at times to see what sin and some of those comforts can bring us and yet reject it for the sake of being true to Christ. It's difficult. I'm not going to lie. 
There are certain things that I really want to do. There are certain things that would just be easier. It would be easier at times for us just to say, you know what, I'm just going to give in. I'm just going to give in. I'm going to close this book. I'm going to close God's Word. I'm going to ignore what it teaches, and I'm just going to give in. I'm going to give in to what my friends want me to do. I'm going to give in to what my family wants me to do. I'm going to give in to what the government wants me to do. And I'm going to walk in the face of Christ for the sake of comfort and just to make it easier. You know, I'm going to make it easier. I'm not going to stand up for what's right anymore. I'm going to stand up for what the culture says is right, what my friends say is right. I'm going to do what they want me to do. Now, why do we do that? We do that because there's no pushback. We do it because there's more popularity there. We do it because sometimes following Christ is difficult and it is uncomfortable, especially in a society that deems that foolishness. And so it's just easier. But as Christians gifted with faith, the Christian cannot be faced with sin for any length of period of time and rest in that sin and say, I'm comfortable. Because as God grows us in the faith, as we become more mature in Christ, we see that sin as detestable. And that is not us stirring that up in ourselves. What that is, is that's the faith that was given to us that causes us to reject the comforts of sin. When I was in high school, I played on the basketball team and the baseball team. And, um, and as they say, I, I hate the phrase, boys will be boys. I, I hate that phrase. Um, and the reason I hate that phrase is because it, it, it seems to be an excuse for bad behavior. And so I reject that phrase and I, and it, it, wholesale. Uh, but I do understand what they mean. I understand what they mean when they say that, and uh, locker room cultures and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I remember that even in my youth, even in my Christian immaturity, that there were times when I was faced, uh, offered uh, certain um, options in my youth, uh, that by pouring myself into those options, by pouring myself into those opportunities, it would have allowed me to live what I would, uh, uh, I don't want to say a more comfortable life, uh, because eventually I have to go home and face my parents, Um, but it would have offered me a a life with my peers that would have been more popular. I would have been a more popular individual. I I could have been more of the life of the party, if you will. I could have been one that was deemed like us, if you will. And I remember uh, that as I, and I would love to say that I rejected every one of those opportunities. And I didn't. I didn't reject every one of those opportunities uh, because I'm a sinner. Um, I'm a sinner. But I am thankful to say uh, that even in my youth and even in my immaturity that I rejected more than I accepted and that as I rejected them, you could see the whittling away of my popularity, if you want to call it that, uh, whittle away uh, my, uh, my, my standing with the culture at large, right? Right? Um, I was not the guy that, that, that people 
that people wanted to, like in, in, this, in this kind of school societal culture, I wasn't the guy that they automatically, let's go hang out with him, man, because if we hang out with him, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a blast. It's going to be fun. I wasn't that guy. I wasn't that guy. I was kind of guy on the outside saying, hey, if we want to do that, he's not going to be a part of it. He's not going to be a part of it. I would also like to say that it was purely because of my faith in Christ that led me to do that. And I would say that that was a small part of it. The bigger part of it was the fear of the wrath of my parents. My sister can attest to this, right? And so uh, for those parents and grandparents that are in here, I will tell you right now that there is something to be said for making your children feel scared to death that you are going to kill them, all right? It, go for it, all right? It will protect them more than it will hurt them, okay? And so, but the, the aim here is to say this, rejecting sin and the comforts of sin will not make you popular in society. It will not make you popular in the community. It will not make you popular with many of your peers. But it's not about popularity. It's not about comfort. It's about honoring Christ. The way is narrow. Thirdly, we see here... Well, let me make one more point. I want to make one more point here. Uh, I don't want to skip over this. In verse 26, the author says, For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. Now, isn't it interesting that the author here chooses to say that reproach for the sake of Christ. Now, nowhere in Exodus, you know, chapters 2 through 8, does it talk about Jesus. It doesn't talk about Jesus in this uh, specific sense. But what we see here, the author is relating that Moses is telling us that Moses had a greater view forward. He had a long view. And he knew, he knew that there would be a Messiah. Remember, Christ, all right, is just the anointed one, all right? It's not a name. It's a title. It's the anointed one. It's like Messiah, right? And so Moses knew that there was going to be one greater than him. He even writes about it in Deuteronomy 18, that there would be one greater than him that would be coming. And that's what Moses was looking towards, looking forward to. Moses was looking forward to that reward, which could not compare. The, the riches of Egypt could not compare to that reward, which would be, uh, which would be uh, lying ahead. And so he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater. What I want to know about us is do we consider reproach for the sake of Christ worth us giving up and rejecting the sin that our culture wants us to accept? Thirdly, faith exalts the invisible God. Verse 27, By faith he left Egypt behind, not, behi not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. Moses did not fear the king, ultimately. Now, there was a moment, it says in Exodus 2, that he was afraid, all right, and he fled, all right, it does say that, but he fled knowing that he would likely return. And so his ultimate fear was not, was not the fear of the king. His ultimate was fear, fear was of God, his reverence for God. So faith exalts the invisible God. By faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. He sees the invisible God. Fourthly, fourthly, we see that faith gives rise to obedience. Verse 28. By faith 
He instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. Now, if you know this story, you know that there were these plagues, these ten plagues, and the last plague was the destroyer was going to come and kill the firstborn, right? Now, this is a frightful thing. This is a frightful thing that Moses is being faced with, and he knows that he's risking not just that of the Egyptians, but he's also risking his own firstborn, if you will, the firstborn of the Israelites. But what we see here is that Moses, even in, uh, it, when coming face to face with this predicament, with this destroyer coming, that he was obedient. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood. Folks, if, if someone comes to you and says that, that a pestilence or some sort of pandemic is going to come and it is going to kill, it is going to wreck all of the firstborn, it's going to kill everyone's firstborn, okay? Your first inclination is not going to be, well, I'm going to go kill a lamb and I'm going to just spray a little, uh, spread a little blood on the door frame. All right, I'm going to fix this right now. Folks, that's not our first inclination, but that is what God told Moses to do. Moses told him to do that, and even in the face of what some would call a lack of logic, Moses did what he did, and we find that he was obedient, and God preserved the Israelites. So faith gives rise to obedience. Sometimes we have to be willing to obey, even when the world thinks it's illogical. Or number two, it comes face to face. With, it comes counter to what the world says or what our society says. Now, last Wednesday, we had a Bible study uh, over Romans 13. And we talked about, we spoke about Romans 13, if you weren't a part of that. Romans 13 is basically about the Christian's responsibility to the government. And one of the things that we spoke about is that the government was instituted by God. It was put in place by God. And so we are obligated, if we are going to be obedient to God, to obey the government. We're obligated to that. Until the government puts us face to face with being disobedient to God. And so sometimes we have to choose. Now, Jesus did say, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? He did say that. Give unto the Lord what is the Lord's. But there may be a time when Caesar asks us to do something that flies right in the face of what God has called us to do. We brought up the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We brought up the, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar called all the Israelites to worship this giant golden pole this idol, basically, and that if they didn't worship this pole, then they would be cast into the fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story possibly, they refused. They refused to worship this idol, this golden idol. And Nebuchadnezzar then proceeded to fulfill what he had promised. Only God preserved them, and they were removed from the fire unharmed. That is an example of us, by faith, walking in obedience, which is an important thing for us all to do. But only faith gives rise to that obedience. And finally, faith calls us to greater commitment. 
Let's look at verse 29. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Now, I want you to imagine this. Imagine the Israelites, led by Moses, standing on the shore of the Red Sea, and all of a sudden, the sea parts. This massive amount of water, right? I would have loved to have been there to see the first person to step their foot out on dry land, all right? With these walls of the sea on either side of them, right? Knowing, knowing that the only thing keeping these waters from crashing down on them was the hand of God. To step out onto that dry land takes commitment. And that commitment can only come about by faith. Imagine then as they cross the Red Sea and as these waters are standing up. By the way, this was not a short trek. There are some individuals that believe that believe that the Israelites, what they try to do is they try to explain away the Red Sea crossing by saying they crossed at a place that was very shallow and that was very short. So they crossed over this just very shallow and short area. That's what they try to explain away. Well, they must have crossed in this area, this neck of the woods, because there's no way they crossed right through the middle of the sea. There's no way that can happen. It's not, it's not physically possible. But we find that with God that all these things are possible. And, but it took faith for them to step out onto that dry land and to cross. And then when they get to the other side, they look back and they see the Egyptians, right? And they step into the waters and what happens? God releases the waters and they come down and they crash over them. And you know what that might, I hope, would have done for me? And this is going to sound odd, but as I see these, these waters drowning all the Egyptians... It would have caused me just to praise and exalt God even more because we see the power of God's hand at work. Faith calls us to commitment, to greater commitment, even when we are faced with things that are difficult. Where does our commitment lie day by day? If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you will be faced with circumstances in life. It may not be a Red Sea. It may not be a plague, that of the ten plagues in Exodus. It may not be having to cast your child into a river. But if you are a Christian, no matter how old you are, no matter how much life you have left in this, during this time, you will, and you will be faced and likely have been faced with moments or seasons in your life that call you to apply your faith with greater commitment. And that faith is coming, uh, that, that faith is in Christ. It's not faith in man. It's not faith in a government. It's not faith in society. Folks, our faith in all of those things will fail us. They will fail us every time. But faith in Christ will not fail. And that faith gives rise to a comfort in rejecting sin. That faith gives rise to courage, not developed by us, but, but created by God. That faith gives rise to greater obedience. That faith gives rise to exalting an invisible God in the face of these play idols that we have out in front of us. And that faith will lead us to greater obedience or greater commitment. 
My hope for us as a church, as individual Christians, is that we will grow in faith. And that faith will not be in those things around us, but into that in the but faith in that Christ who lived a perfect life, despite all odds against him, lived a perfect life, died a death meant for us on that cross, was buried and then was raised three days later, that we will commit our lives solely and fully to Him. That's my hope. My prayer is, is that the same reward that Moses was looking forward to, that he counted reproach worth it for the sake of Christ, that we too would look forward and say reproach, momentary reproach, momentary discomfort, momentary lack of popularity, momentary uh, momentary lower status, whatever it might be, lower, uh, momentary poverty with, in, with uh, regards to the world's perspective is worth it for the sake of our demo, devoted devotion and commitment to Christ. That is my prayer, which means that you're going to look different. You're going to look weird in comparison to the rest of the world. You're going to look weird in comparison to your friends. You're going to look weird in comparison to your coworkers and, and the culture and the community around you. And what I want to tell you is that's okay. It is okay to look weird, to look strange. To look different. Because it's worth it. Because there is a greater reward. Do not sacrifice what is heavenly and eternal for what will fade. Do not sacrifice the riches of heaven that moth nor rust will, cannot destroy for that which will be destroyed like that. We buy a new car. We're so excited about that new car. And then after about a month, you back up into a small sapling and it's got a massive dent in it. It's not new anymore. Now you're ready for another new car. Right? Get that new guitar. You've been waiting on that new guitar. And all of a sudden, you get a scratch on it. It's not new anymore. Not Christy's guitar, mine. I'm a little sad right now. But in all seriousness, there's all of these things, all of these things that we put so much weight on that we, do, that we devote ourselves and commit ourselves to, and we give ourselves into it. And every one of them are going to fade. Every single one of them. And so Moses chose what was eternal and what was future and devoted himself and gave himself into that and sacrificed that which was momentary, that which would have made him comfortable for a moment. My prayer is that we too would live our faith out in that way. And that we would raise our children in that way. That we would see our grandkids grow in that way. 
that we would try to influence the world around us to see the fickleness and the futility of living for this, for this, the riches of this life. It's futile. But faith, faith allows us to persevere even under those pressures. And I thank God for that faith, and I pray that we would all grow to be even more faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I pray that our faith would increase. I pray that our faith would grow. I pray that our faith would stand strong in the face of trial. Lord, be with us. Be with our church. Be with our community of churches. And let us be faithful in all things. And help us to endure and persevere as you have called us and as we have has been demonstrated in the life of Moses. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.